Okay, I'm here with Jeff Tucker. Uh, everybody knows who he is, so I won't bother introducing him. Um, I had originally wanted to have you on to talk about some of the things that you've written in the past um, about specifically um, the whole idea of the more that we, the more we have violence as a part of our, of the underpinnings of our society, the more in conflict we are with each other. So mm -hmm. the more, the more laws we have governing how we live and, and go about our day-to-day -day lives, the more we're putting each, ourselves in conflict with each other. That was before all this craziness happened. Right. So um, I'd just like to hear in the, in the context of that and just of other things that you've said, um, you, you had a great piece about the costs of this, this crackdown that we're living under. You know, everybody, uh, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people are just are cheering, you know, finally the government's taking action, they're shutting things down. But here's the thing about government action, they never have to take responsibility for the costs that they impose. And you had a piece about some of those costs and how you know, certain businesses are gonna be affected. A lot of businesses are, are gonna be affected. So what are your thoughts? Uh, let me address your point about totalitarianism. I, I, this current generation of what we're living through right now, we've never seen anything uh, like this. This is our first real chance to experience what the total state uh, feels like in practice. And what we've discovered, at least what I've learned, is that you know, Hannah Arendt was right about the nature of totalitarianism. It's never just a, a single fist coming down on the entire population you know, with a barking guy on a big screen. It usually is a consequence of a social movement, people whipped into a frenzy and enforcing edicts against each other. Um, I guess we call it social shaming now in this country, but in, in the course of uh, several days, we've in the course of a week, we went from a completely normal society to um, a society of what's in practice, massive deprivation and, and almost instantaneous practical poverty uh, with, you know, with people cheering uh, the government response and calling for even more. Um, and I, I don't know what to say about this, except that it reflects, you know, just a complete lack of understanding of, of, of economics, of the social order, of precautionary principles, of, of statistics, of, of um, it just reflects panic and fear. And, 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 and that, that is the thing that the state um, has always thrived on more than anything else. I mean, we've had warm up attempts uh, after 1995, after 2001, after 2008. But uh, this makes everything else just pale by comparison. I've never uh, seen anything like this in my life. And the tragedy is that things seem to be getting worse by the hour. Um, the good part about it, I suppose you could say, is the possibility we could bounce back from this really quickly. Um, you once people realize that you can't actually live like this, you know, this can't go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, much less months and months. Um, things have unraveled in this country remarkably uh, quickly. In the course of 48 hours, grocery stores all over the country have been emptied out. You know, what happens in, uh, in less than a week when people are actually out of food and, um, and people start looking for, for hoarders, you know, um, it, it could get very grim very quickly. So uh, to me, it, it shows that, you know, all the things that we've been dedicated to all of our lives, uh, human liberty and economic education and, and learning to people to the nature of society and the nature of violence and that sort of thing. Um, this is not intellectual. It's not an intellectual game. 
this is uh, life and death. This is the rise and fall of societies and civilizations. It reminds me of why I got into this uh, business in the first place, because I realized that it was crucial for our, our very lives and for the future of civilization that we understand what human rights are and what liberty is and how society functions. And uh, I, I think what's happened over the last um, few decades is that uh, even people in the liberty world, liberty movement, have started to treat this body of ideas as more like a parlor game, you know, uh, um, just things you read about in books or tribes you hang out with at conferences. But mm -hmm. what we know now is that it, it matters for uh, our, the quality of our lives. I mean, and whether or not we live and die, you know, this is, this is central to everything that, that concerns human liberty. And I think, you know, we're going to come out of this thing with a new awareness of the responsibility of um, the intellectuals to get it right and to study and to learn and to understand. So for in, in the moment, in the moment that we're in now, what can intellectuals do? What can people who understand how markets function, people who have a history, have an understanding of the history of totalitarian regimes and who, who can see pretty clearly what's happening right in front of us, what can we do? I feel like we're kind of helpless just sitting back well, and watching. Well, I think it does, you do feel helpless. Um, I think the most important thing you can do right now is not um, fail to speak. Um, there is a, over the last, I would say, 72 hours, there's been a gradual tightening of opinion in this country so that people are not willing to uh, even report uh, the data that is in front of their faces, you know, even scientific data. There is a study that came out, um, I guess, two days ago from a, a biostatistician from Stanford University that... Uh, revisits all the numbers and all the contingencies and basically concludes that uh, that COVID-19 uh, could be less contagious than seasonal flu and far less fatal. Um, this is a top uh, a biostatistician at an Ivy League university. And uh, he laid it out, you know, very clearly that he thinks that, that everything that's happening right now is based on statistical error and modeling uh, forecasting models that are that are deeply flawed. Now, Did you send me a link to that? Sure. I don't yeah. think I've seen that. Yeah, I, I try to keep people up to date on my Twitter feed about. Okay, I'll check that things. out. Um, but um, and also, I think I have a link to it on my article that I published last night called "The Epistemic Crisis." There's a link okay. to it there. Okay. Um, and his his name and everything. Yeah. And and pe and people shattered him down, saying, "Look." Um, this is all just dealing with statistical probabilities. These are things we don't know, but what we do know is what the state can do now. So the precautionary principle uh, it turns out to be the justification for any manner of, of, of violation of every, of, of basically a justification for tearing society apart, you know. Mm -hmm. so, um, so evidence in these times doesn't matter. And I think what intellectuals can do is actually stay uh, critically minded. I think that's really important, but more than anything else, the exercise of moral courage right now, the moral courage to speak, uh, it, which turns out to be extremely rare, actually. It's very, very difficult to even to so much as tweet uh, when you're afraid of being shouted down by a mob. 
Mm-hmm. And so people are afraid, afraid. The intellectuals are afraid. The academics are afraid. Uh, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing right now because they're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of their universities mm-hmm. closing. Everybody's afraid of everything. And so as a consequence, we're, we're gradually seeing uh, even uh, uh, information sharing that we would normally see uh, gradually come to a close. And I, I feel it myself. Like with every tweet I send out, I'm a little more nervous than I was about the previous one, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that these are times for moral courage more than anything else. And what do you what do you say to people who are genuinely afraid? Who who point? You know, we can have a debate about what the statistical reality is of how contagious it is, and how let's assume the worst case scenario. Or afraid is true. of the disease. Yeah, afraid of the disease. Oh, I would say, yeah. that, well, I was. I mean, yeah. I, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm most afraid right. of. But there are people out there who are who are genuinely afraid of the disease, sure. and who say, you know, we have to have these measures because otherwise, you know, well, we're all going to no. die, or just the old people are going to die, or you know, some group of people is going to die, yeah. and we can't we can't let that happen. We well, I, to, you know, what's what's interesting about this is about a month ago, or three weeks ago or so, I published an article about quarantine and argued that, uh, arguing that it was never necessary, that uh, people know how to deal with sickness uh, on their own, that voluntary measures are, are you know, what we usually uh, use. You know, if, if you have a contagious disease, you isolate yourself. And that's how we've always functioned. And, um, and we're learning more, you know, things like, you know, Obviously, I could repeat all the uh, the protocols, you know, uh, social, social, so-called social distancing and and uh, w- washing hands and you know that sort of thing. Um, all these things are are things that people, you know, who, who fear the disease can do and dramatically, according to the data, dramatically diminish the um, the contagion and the fatality rate. And even right now, you can see this operating in in uh, two countries where they had very efficient universal testing. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to be getting these kind of messages. But they had universal testing very early on and, and widespread information. And it was pretty simple. There was no quarantine in, in South Korea, no geographic quarantine, no crackdown. And what we saw was that, that people who were sick uh, put them, you know, were, were sent home and, uh, and went away and uh, to get well. And as a result, the death fatality rates are, are very, very low. The transmission rates are plummeting in both um, South Korea and in Germany through purely uh, you know, widespread access to information. And, and what happened in this, so the question is like, why didn't that happen in this country? And they, the answer to that comes down to the monopoly control of the CDC. They had, unbeknownst to most people, had nationalized uh, testing. So even though we'd known about this thing for months, the CDC um, did not authorize uh, private laboratories to uh, innovate uh, 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 tests, uh, much less, um, uh, much less uh, you know, any cures or, or anything else associated with this or, or distribute them. The CDC stopped them from doing this and, and this is becoming a scandal, right? I mean, so over the last several days, you've seen the New Yorker, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic, all four have run very detailed pieces about this, this astonishing scandal from the CDC about testing. And this is where Hayek really matters because 
you know, Hayek's essential theory is that uh, navigating the world requires knowledge above all else, a knowledge of, 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 of a roadmap of what, what successful and unsuccessful behavior in, uh, looks like. Like we need information and that's his argument is that's why we need freedom because it's the best system for generating this constant information flows. Well, in a pandemic, people need a new kind of information. They need to know uh, what is the contagion rate, you know, how fatal it is, uh, uh, where is it, where do I need to, who do I need to stay away from? Above all else, people need to know, do I have it? And, uh, and, and who else has it so I can stay away from them? So very quickly in this country, even though we had, you know, as much as 60 days to prepare, we shut down that information flow. People did not have access to this information and uh, very quickly, and uh, we flew into panic. So the CDC didn't even decentralize its operations until February 28th. And so we, and even now, we don't have uh, widespread testing access and this is what's causing the panic. So, you know, this is a a good example to me, Brittany, of how, how uh, you know libertarian theory really does matter in, in practice you know this is not just a parlor game this stuff really really matters yeah and, and it's um, my hope is that people recognize this isn't this oh the cdc screwed up it must have been the wrong people in charge or something but mm-hmm. that this is this is a problem you should expect to see when you have a monopoly organization in charge of a whole thing like you know that, ha- that has this much dominance in in the healthcare world but then has a whole an actual monopoly on testing kits. You know, that's, yeah, of course you're going right. to see. And, and there's a very interesting that. thing because you compare uh, what's happening right now with the H1N1 from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened then was the CDC was widely cooperative with, with private laboratories and researchers around the country. And, interesting. And they got the tests out very, uh, very quickly and they were accurate. And um, they were cooperating very widely with scientists, which doesn't entirely surprise me. I mean, CDC is a serious, um, one of these kind of many independent agencies that operates under the auspices of the executive department. So it's a real question, like how can the CDC did this, did a fine job 10 years ago? And, mm-hmm. and by the way, you know, I don't know if you remember uh, that swine flu panic, H1N1 from 10 years ago, but I, it was yeah. barely a blip on the radar screen. You would hear right. speeches about it and that sort of thing, but most people didn't pay much attention. Well, it turns out that almost 16 million people in this country were infected and it led to uh, nearly 14,000 deaths. So it was actually a fairly serious thing, but we just kind of dealt with it because we had information flows mm-hmm. and we had access to tests and you could go down to CVS and get a test. Anybody could do. So every, everything was calm because we had the data, but this time around it didn't happen. And it's a really interesting, and my article doesn't go into this, um, why does the CDC operate differently this time than it did last time? And mm-hmm. I think the answer may come down to something like uh, the advent of the personal state that we've seen since Trump's been elected. So he's kind of personally taken uh, control of everything and, and, and put the fear into every single government agency and head of every agency and every communications director at all levels of society. So people are afraid to, to do something because they're afraid they're going to get fired. I mean, we've seen him mm-hmm. do, this, do this with the Justice Department, with the F- FBI, and with all these other independent, previously independent agencies. So his personal control has led to a, an atmosphere of, of intimidation. Mm-hmm. And that may be why the CDC had such a different uh, kind of response this time than they did last time. But I think we're, you know, we're going to be sussing this thing out for 
Yeah. Given that that's how it went down, given that, you know, we had all this time without tests, no, we don't have no idea how many people in this country have it. Given that that's the situation we're in now, how do you respond to people who say, well, you know, it's, it's crazy now. We don't know. We don't know who has it. We don't know who doesn't. It's got this long incubation period. So all these people could have it. Don't we need the state to come in and shut everything down for our own good? Well, the problem is that, that uh, we had too much of a shutdown before already. Shutdowns don't actually work. And speaking of that long incubation period, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a funny way in which people who are denied access to information just sort of scramble for it and get it wherever they can. So sometime within the last week, there became this, this uh, uh, sort of word on the street that there's a 14-day incubation period. Like everybody's heard that. Well, that's not what the newest research shows. Uh, the newest research shows well, it could be anywhere from one to five days. Uh, 14 is for the tiniest, tiniest percentage, smallest percentage. But, for, but the average is uh, uh, five days. And for, for many people, it's as little as one day. And, and the result is mild symptoms. Okay, so this kind of information, if it had been known, yeah. Uh, would have would have settled people down, but yeah, this you know once once this idea of a fourteen day incubation period came about, then people started to 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 really panic and say, oh, so I I could have it, you could have it, you know, how do we know? Mm -hmm. um, and I just you know, like I just I think that the, the that that the lack of information is really what's what's caused all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then and then every crank scientist that happens to come along and say, oh, look at my model. Uh, 20 million people are going to die or whatever, um, you know, suddenly gets an audience. Um, but what people don't understand about these statistical forecasting things is that they're highly sensitive to the assumptions that, that are baked into them. And they're only true if all those assumptions pertain, but there's a million changing conditions that could lead mm -hmm. them not to be true. I mean, that's just, that's the nature of statistics, you know, and this mm -hmm. is why macroeconomic forecasting has never worked, even though people have been trying to do it for a hundred years. It's the same thing with the modeling uh, uh, that we're using. Um, hold on a second. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Yeah, you know, it tried to shut down everything, but it didn't quite work. Let me turn this off. Whoa. Okay. Um, so I forgot now what I was just saying. Oh, uh, yeah. But so shutting down the inf information flows actually just causes panic. And, and that's the interesting thing about this is that now governments at all levels are, are shutting down inform information even more. And, and it's worse than that. They're shutting down stores. They're shutting down restaurants and bars where people can actually talk to each other and, and, and causing a, um, a kind of nationwide psychological breakdown because, you know, everybody's living in isolation, uh, you know, for, and for 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 ninety nine point nine 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 percent of these people, there's no reason for this. It, it, it serves no purpose whatsoever. Um, and 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 people are terrified, you know. And I, you're a stable person. I'm a stable person. I know a lot of stable people, but there are a lot of people who, and even in normal times, are living on the precipice. You know, <laughs> full of anxiety and psychological terrors of all sorts. And and this, this is actually a big concern I have. Like how many people are going to be dying from heart attacks? You know, and fear. It's really quite <clears throat> astonishing. What's your sense just of the people, right? The, the actual people that you're talking to and seeing, not in the news, but like people right around you, do you feel like most people are, are 
being sensible or think this is overblown or yes. Okay. That's what I'm hearing too. I, um, so I try to get out and just walk around my neighborhood and stuff and, and talk to people. Most of the actual people that I encounter people who are already in my life or just people I, I run into and start talking to most of them seem very sensible. Most of them seem, mm -hmm. they, they feel like this is crazy. This is overblown. A lot of people are aware of how many people are going to really be hurt by this. Right. Um, I don't know if those people are, are speaking out beyond just talking to me, but it's just interesting. The sense I get from people online versus the actual people that I come in contact with is very different. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Um, you've got a, a, a handful of panic voices. And of course, above all else, you have governments at all levels. Yeah. Um, where, as you pointed out in your introduction, they, they, they don't bear any costs or any of their bad decisions here. Shutting down the world uh, based on, on uh, limited information, they're not going to pay a price for it. It's a lot easier for a government official just to yell and scream, stop doing whatever you're doing and do nothing instead. It's very easy for them to say that. But um, Well, in fact, if anything, they're going to gain from it because they're, they're coming out of this with a lot more power than they previously had. Well, that's a, you know, an interesting thing. Like, what's going to be the fallout from this? I don't, right. I'm not sure that the result is going to be more power because only because if this turns out to have been all just a, a wild overreaction, uh, the public anger could get really intense, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gonna... Especially public anger from people who are now unable to buy food or don't have, haven't yeah. had paychecks for a few months. So it kind of could yeah. lead to a revolutionary moment, which yeah. not, not, it's not one I, I welcome either, by the way. I, I don't, no, I, not that kind, absolutely uh, not. You know, I, I think, you know, we've always needed a, a you know, structural and institutional changes in this country, obviously, but um, under ideal conditions, that would happen, you know, gradually and, and uh, peacefully. Um, yeah. But, but uh, this kind of social turmoil, uh, you know, creating a revolutionary political movement, I just can't believe it's going to end well. I mean, maybe it, maybe it will. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that's actually shocked people is people haven't realized that states have this amount of power. I mean, like, yeah. You know, my yeah. article on, on um, quarantining that I published last month, um, people were writing me saying that this is completely alarmist, that I, the very <laughs> idea that I would be warning about quarantines, like government would never do such a thing. And I was, I was pointing right. out, look, the CDC <clears throat> website says that they can do this. And they're like, yeah, but that's just, that's just, the, it's just bureaucratic, you know, terms of use. It's not really, really true. And I was like, I don't know, you know, it's going to be pretty bad. Yeah, so, if anything, uh, that's the silver lining is people, I feel like between that and what has been what has been done to Julian Assange, between those things, I feel like there is kind of an awakening to the fact that we really do have, a, we don't have any control over our government. It can mm -hmm. do whatever it wants. And we're seeing, we've been saying that forever and people have been, you know, dismissing us. Yeah, but I've got to tell you, Brittany, like even I thought, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and our court system, and that kind of stuff was protecting uh, freedom to some extent. Um, and I think maybe during normal times, it's, that's true, you know, that we have certain constitutional rights uh, and that sort of thing. The problem is that um, as soon as any government official declares an emergency, then every executive at all levels, whether it's a town or a state or 
the country as a whole, suddenly is presumes to have total power. And the court system doesn't work fast enough to check this kind of stuff. Right. And the courts are closed now. Yeah. yeah. At least out here they are. Yeah. So it starts to look like, you know, a power grab at all levels and, and nobody is in a position to stop it, you know, which is, which is, I mean, I don't know. I've been thinking over the last several days, you know, as, a, as an intellectual anarchist, as a person who thinks that um, society can manage itself without states. Um, I've always believed this. Um, I'm feeling more confident in that view the, the last uh, week than I ever have before. Like, like you, you, you can't have these institutions out there lurking in society that are that are that you could wake up tomorrow morning and find that all your freedoms are gone. I mean, that's yeah. just not that's not a safe space for anybody. You know? It's not. It's not, except for the people in those institutions. Yeah. But to me, the problem is all those all those people who have been brought up differently and who who really believe all everything they were taught in grade school and high school about how we need you know yes freedom's fine and dandy but we're not you know we've got to do everything the government says Mm -hmm. their response is going to be well all this chaos that's ensuing that just means we need more crackdown we need more strong i think people are going to say that for a while but you know i think what we're seeing in real time here is is just the incredible damage that the, that the state is doing. I mean, it's, you know, the damage that's being done by the state right now far exceeds uh, the costs associated with even pandemic disease, mm-hmm. uh, even if you accept the worst possible yeah. uh, uh, situation here. Like people can actually handle um, infectious diseases, you know, just by self-isolation mm-hmm. and, and being careful and that sort of thing. You can't handle a, 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 a demand that your businesses be shut down, you know, that, um, you can't handle a state that's that's talking about throwing around trillions of dollars, you know, and bailout uh, bailout money or reducing interest rates to zero and all these things. Uh, you know, states that scream and, and yell at you about the coming disaster, causing you know a, a panic buying at stores and hoarding and um, people to wonder about where they're going to get their next meal. I mean, this the damage uh, that government intervention is doing right now is beyond description um and it's just it's just huge I, I was listening to a press conference by andrew cuomo and um he was saying that all this is necessary to protect life it's like you know look what if there are other means to protect life besides ruining it ruining life on earth you know mm-hmm. and plus uh why is he in the position to to make that decision which is it's just weird. Like all of us are, we all have equal rights, you know, uh, we should all have equal uh, power over our lives. And who gives this, this gang uh, the right to make these uh, big decisions over, over the quality of our lives at all levels of society. It just, it's just inherently unjust. And uh, it's, it's, and I think we're discovering today that it's grossly irrational. So Brittany, I think, you know, it's very possible. And I'm talking about very long-term here that the great takeaway of this thing will be um, the urgency for human liberty and for restraining or abolishing states. I mean, I think, I think that has to be the conclusion of this because this thing has been handled so incredibly badly at all levels of society. It's absolutely shocking. And now you have this, you talk about a real contagion. We've got a power contagion uh, operating in this country. Like, you know, we've got, we got government officials at all levels trying to one-up each other on how egregious they can be. 
and the cops, you know, in New Yorkish, they're arresting people who are in bars and boarding up bars. Like, that's what you want to use power for in this right. time, right? You know, um, instead of like, like distributing testing kits, you yeah. know, uh, we're boarding up bars and arresting people. Right. Um, well, the, the, I think the most grotesque thing I saw. Um, so in in South Korea, what I've heard is that they've they immediately, you know, the, the government made this announcement. Um, you know, we've got testing kits available, go get tested. We don't care about your immigration status. If you're not a legal immigrant, we're not even gonna look at that. We don't care, just come in and get tested. Meanwhile, there was, um, and I didn't verify this, but what was posted on social media was a photo of police dragging, or ICE, ICE dragging an illegal immigrant out of a hospital, I think in New York. So hmm. here we are, you know, they're still, they're ham-handedly, you know, still enforcing their insane, you know, immigration restrictions at a time when they're, you know, we're supposed to all be afraid of the virus, but no, let's, let's keep on, you know, hunting down people who don't have the proper paperwork to be here and get them out and make them all afraid to go into a hospital. Wow. Just the, 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 the contrast there was just startling. It is startling. Well, I can tell you this, Brittany, that, you know, from the beginning on this whole thing and I'm really influenced by the fact that, you know, I work for the American Institute for Economic Research. It was, it was founded in the midst of an emergency in, in 1933 oh. when the banks were shut down and FDR was confiscating the gold and, and um, E.C. Harwood has founded this place, um, used the occasion to speak, speak the truth. And, right. and, this, and, and the government tried to silence him in 1936 and began in 1940 and then um, he still went out of his way to fight for people's rights and freedoms. Yeah. Um, well, that's what we need to be doing now. Yeah. He died in so when this whole, yeah. So when this thing came along, you know, I guess I posted my first article, which I think it was my article on the quarantine power of the government. I think I supposed to that about a month ago. <laughs> and, and in the meantime, we've published, I don't know, probably, as many as 50 articles on this whole thing. You know, wow. I, I wow. pleaded with, with uh, just celebrating the businesses that stayed open. Yeah. I've, um, you know, we've been trying to run articles about, uh, uh, you know, the warning of the use of statistical models for, uh, for bolstering government power and nice. really tried to, try to run the best content that's, that's calm and, and based on good research and not alarmist, but also telling the truth. And, um, and I've been disappointed, well, and I put this, AIR has had a singular role here and uh, not, not, not many people are joining us in this and I've, it's been kind of disappointing to me because I thought we had this big libertarian movement in this country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been surprising. Uh, uh, but anyway, I'm just, I'm really thrilled about this and, and you know, and I don't want to gloat about this, but our, our, our web traffic is just gone absolutely insane. In fact, we've provided awesome. important information to uh, radio, you know, big personalities around the country and radio talk show hosts and television news. Uh, President uh, Ed Stringham has been on Fox News almost every day ever since. And by the way, this is, nice. this is exhausting work. You know, it's mentally and emotionally taxed. It is. I, it's, <laughs> yeah. And, and Brittany, yeah. look, it's, it's hard for you to have this podcast right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's hurting you emotionally even to hold this podcast. I mean, I appreciate the fact you're doing it, but a lot of people just can't even uh, uh, find the energy 
to to do anything right now because it's just so and honestly. But I'm with you. I feel like this is this is this is the time when we need most to be speaking out. I I don't know what else we can do. I mean, yeah. in the end, um, this is the only power we have is is to think and to write, and we have yeah. the opportunity to do it. And I think we have to we have to do it. You know, yeah. it's. Um, it's the only way we can do right by our, by our own lives and, and, and that of our uh, family and, and friends and, and the country and the world that we love. You know, we have to. We can't back off now. I mean, of all times we've been needed, it's, it's right now. And, and, and I understand that people are extremely cautious. I mean, I know there's some institutions in this country that, you know, otherwise have favored uh, freedom and limited government, that sort of thing, that when this whole thing hit, um, the order came down to shut up. Don't say anything. You know, let's wait this one out. We don't want to say something wrong. And um, like the precautionary principle that the state is using is also affecting people in their private lives. Don't say anything. You know, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Don't take any risks. Don't, uh, especially with opinion, don't yeah. post anything that's contrary to uh, prevailing opinions. I mean, it's been very interesting to me to see how many people that we think of as being big shots um, until recently have actually dissented against all of this that's happening. You know, people like Richard Epstein, very famous law professor at oh, the University of Chicago, yeah. um, posted an article saying that, uh, that none of this is, uh, that, that, that none of these models are actually uh, valid, that, that um, this whole uh, crisis is overblown. There are medical professionals all over this country that are saying the same thing. And I don't know if you know, but Elon Musk, you know, who is like a national hero, um, wrote his employees saying this whole thing is overblown. Uh, just uh, be careful to not get it. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it, and, it's, and it's no more or less dangerous than the seasonal flu. And like, this is Elon Musk. These are not stupid people. Yeah, no, and I've, I've been surprised because I, I do a lot of writing on the, on the vaccine issue. Yeah. I have been sh shocked, not surprised, but shocked to see some of the people who have come out urging for calm and saying this, just on a medical level, this is being overblown. Right. People who are full on pro-mandated vaccines who mm -hmm. think you can give a kid, you know, a billion vaccines at once and it's not going to hurt them and we should all, you know, everyone should be forced to get them. Some of them are coming out and saying this is over. So that blows my mind. Oh, I yeah, that's right. And, and it's been very interesting to me to, to watch how the nation's press has reacted to this. Um, New York Times, I follow it very carefully. Uh, they, were, they were sounding the alarms about, about this virus three weeks ago, that it was, it was really a c catastrophic. And I thought, uh-oh, mm. New York Times things. But even the New York Times has run a few articles saying, yeah, a lot of people think this is this is overblown and, mm. and uh, overreaction. So they ran an article like that a couple of days ago, and I was shocked, actually. You know, yeah, so, that's that's not usually. So the you know, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, what's what's going to be very interesting is like I'm pretty sure we can be sure that this whole thing is going to pass with a low rate of contagion and a very low fatality I rate. I think so. And, yeah, and uh, people are going to want to know why did all this happen. Mm -hmm. And the answer on the part of, uh, of public officials all over the country is going to be, well, we protected you. We saved exactly. You. Because we but did all I, this, I, that's why you didn't get sick. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not sure that that's going to work because um, a lot of people in this country are kind of incredulous, actually, towards um, government statements that seem all too convenient. So I hope it's a lot. I hope it's a lot of people. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to let you go. I need to get going. Um, can we do this again soon? Yeah, I'd like to, Whitney. I appreciate okay. you uh, having me on. And, and Yeah, uh, well, I appreciate you and, coming uh, on the topic. And right now we need friends, so I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, we do. Okay, well, I'll be in touch and talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, bye. thank you. Bye.